It is time for Around the 412 with Smitty and Tyler. Welcome back to the Steelers show of Around the 412. I am Tyler, as Josh said. With me, as always, is my co-host, Smitty. Be sure to go check us out on social media at Around the 412 everywhere. And go check out some of the links that we have in the description of each and every show. We've got our Rocket Around the 412 year six in the in the description. We Over the past five years, we've raised over $25,000 with the help of all of you to help children in our local 724 and 412 area code to be able to to provide Christmas for them because Smitty and I never really had to worry about Christmas where Christmas was coming from, excuse me, um, growing up. So we try to get, have been able to give back and we've also partnered last year the first time for the first time with the East Rochester, Pennsylvania Salvation Army and uh, partnered up and adopted kids off of their angel tree. And we're going to continue to do that in the future as well, including this year. So we're providing Christmas for those kids as well as individual families that can be nominated by anybody as well. So if you know a family um, and you want to reach out to us or if you yourself might need to be in some use for uh, the, the, this Christmas time, let us know, DM us um, and, and we could sort something out. But yeah, go check out that out. And we also have the Everything Custom Designs link in the description of this show and every other show. Um, you can check out, it's our friend Haley Wagner. She does anything custom designs. Um, literally, that's the name. And so this uh, you're upcoming towards Halloween, so you can get some customized trick-or-treat bags. She just t-shirts. Smitty has worn a couple of around the 412 ones on the show before. Um, but yeah, go check that out. Still no hats, but check out the links. Still no hats. Unbelievable. I'm also uh, breaking the fourth wall here. I forgot to, uh, if you guys follow us on X, um, we were doing a giveaway for a Pat Fryermuth jersey that I was supposed to do after the Steelers-Browns game last night. And with it basically going, Monday night football basically going into Tuesday morning football, totally forgot about it. So I said I would do it at 8 o'clock tonight. And then I realized that might not be the best decision. That's when Tyler and I start recording podcast so simultaneously as we are recording i'm going to pick a winner for this by the time you guys are listening to this it's not going to matter to you hopefully you've entered into it if you are watching or listening to the show now um but this is the steelers show so let's get into it steelers coming off a big win on monday night football against the browns uh this is this is a fun one to dice i mean fun is one word for it to dissect don't even know what to make of this football game for a lot of it it didn't even feel like it was a football game the Steelers on the field, their defense, thirty over 35 minutes of this football game, they had negative seven yards of offense in the fourth quarter when they went into the fourth quarter trailing, and they win by four points. <laughs> um, I don't know where we want to start with this one. Actually, I do know where we want to start with this one. TJ Watt, Alex Highsmith, best edge duo in the NFL. I think they put their stamp on that title last night. I agree. I, I think that's the best duo in the NFL, and I think that – TJ Watt is the best defensive player in the NFL. Um, I, I don't think that there's any comparison to Miles Garrett. I saw that PFF had Miles Garrett as the highest graded player. I think it's just ridiculous. Uh, I, I, I always say that like looking at a box score that doesn't tell you everything, but even just if you just looked at the box score from last night's game, that was able to show you how much of an impact TJ had and how much more dynamic I feel like of a player he can be than, than Miles Garrett on a more consistent level. Um, and and maybe we do have some Steelers bias to that, but I, I genuinely believe that that TJ is cementing himself as not only just the best edge rusher, but arguably the best defensive player in in football. So I, I think that when you add Alex Highsmith to that mix, you're right. You do have the best duo in the NFL. Um, and, and that was on full display last night. I mean, both of those guys scoring defensive touchdowns. You have um, the 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 pick six, which I mean, I, I can't really say honestly that was Deshaun Watson's fault, but it just it's happened. Been a to luck, fall yeah. right, it was it was a fall right into the hands of Alex Highsmith, able to return that, and then the the duo getting the strip sack on on Deshaun Watson, which TJ then returns. I mean that that was that was just a perfect uh, cement of the night for that duo being the team, the ones that's going to carry this the this defense. That's where you want. Um, the the f- front load of the weight on your defense to be in those two guys. And I feel like Alex Highsmith is going to be more of a household name throughout this season. Not If, if he's not already, I feel like Alex Highsmith is going to be more respected 
not just after this game, but as the season goes along, I mean, he just got the new contract. I just feel like he's going to get better and better. And what we thought that TJ and Bud was going to be um, for a long period of time, I feel like that's what what TJ and Alex Highsmith are going to be because we both have them under contract for an extended period of time. You see how dynamic they are playing off of each other. The fact that you have both of them is great for this defense. Yeah, and that is what they want to go through, right? We know that they've built this team through their pass rush, and they're also a defense-first team. So literally, if you're thinking about what do the Steelers need to be successful in 2023, the first thing that would come to mind is the pass rush. And you're paying, you're investing so much money into that duo as well that you need them to produce the way that they did. Now, obviously, scoring two touchdowns is an anomaly. You can't expect them to replicate that week in and week out. But in terms of making impact plays, like tide-turning plays, yeah, I do think on a regular basis you should see that happen because of what you're investing in those guys. Um, but yeah, take away the the touchdown that Alex scores, where again it's kind of like a a little bit of a fluky play, if you will. But also Minka could have, like Harrison Bryant has that ball to through his hands, but then makes a really nice play to to stop Minka from picking it off, only to have it fall right into Alex Highsmith's lap and be able to have <laughs> right. So just a really weird sequence. But take that away. He still, once again, got the better of Jedrick Wills. I mean, we talked about that matchup. Shout out to our boy Derek Bell, who made an entire YouTube video highlighting that matchup in the way that Alex has gotten the better of Jedrick Wills going into this. Because going into it, this game, I think everybody was looking at TJ Watt going against rookie tackle Dewan Jones and saying that could be something where you exploit. But going into it as well, we knew that they learned their lesson a couple of years ago when they put James Hudson on an island against TJ Watt and Baker Mayfield got killed. TJ had four sacks in that game. I think they learned their lesson at that point that we're not going to do this again. We're going to give this guy help. I think that they, you know, he saw a lot of double teams yesterday. He even saw a couple triple teams. Um, and obviously, TJ still had a productive game on his own. But I think that we may be, and, and I say we, not meaning us too, but as a whole, the fan base, maybe underestimated what Alex Highsmith was going to do in this game because we saw that TJ Watt versus rookie tackle to Juan Jones matchup. I mean, that was part of my the three keys that I did defensively, which I want to go to because the other thing that I brought up there, one of the other things I brought up was communication on the defensive side. Uh, when you talk about this doesn't necessarily apply to the defensive line at this point, the linebackers in the secondary who were atrocious in week one and I thought you saw a lot of that get cleaned up in week two. From a communication standpoint, I thought they were a lot better. I mean, to not have Minka Fitzpatrick for as long as they did in this football game and to have, you know, Keanu Neal and DeMonte KZ as your two safeties. Now, those guys have obviously played a lot together, but not necessarily within this defense, Terrell Austin's defense. I thought Terrell Austin did a really nice job yesterday bringing everything together. Obviously, a good pass rush makes things easier. But I thought from one week to the next, you know, Cole Holcomb to me was the most improved player from week one to week two for this team. I think that communication-wise, they cleaned up a lot in just one week. I didn't question if the personnel was there in that San Fran game. I really thought a lot of their issues were in the communication department, and I think what they were able to do in this game, I understand they spent 35 minutes on the football field defensively. They gave up over 400 yards. I still think this defense had a really good performance last night. I think a lot of that was due to, and we're going to dive into the offense here, I think a lot of that was due to the offensive performance is why they were on the field so much. Yeah, I think the de defensive performance as a whole was underrated for, and it's it's hard to say it's underrated, but there's still definitely some, uh, like you mentioned, they gave up over 400 yards on of offense um, for the Browns. So I feel like it's it's underrated even for a game where you did have six sacks and how many four takeaways and and all sorts of stuff, I and mean, in two defensive touchdowns. But a lot of that were coming mm -hmm. was just coming from a few guys. But I feel like overall. You did see better play from the linebackers. You did see better play from the secondary, including, like you mentioned, you you were without Minka Fitzpatrick, your best player in that secondary for an extended period of time. I, I feel like there was a mo huge improvement from week one to week two in the defense. And maybe that does come a little bit with the opponent that you're playing. I mean, you're not facing Kyle Shanahan's offense, um, which, which can help you out as a defense. But I still think that even just from a – a like you said a communication standpoint where they are positionally on the field there was there was a night and day difference I felt like from what you saw from week one to week two with some of these linebackers and secondary players so I, I think that that was a great thing to see along with whatever they were doing in the pass rush as well um and also speaking of the pass rushes we, we we already mentioned TJ Watt and uh 
Alex Highsmith. It was nice to see like Larry Ogunjobi get in. He got the first sack of the game. And I, I thought the defensive tackles – now everybody knew like Nick Chubb is Nick Chubb. Like he was going to get his own um, in, in this game. He's arguably the best – quality running back in football um and and definitely at least like a top three running back in football but I feel like with the lack of Cam Hayward um with the, or the absence of Cam Hayward I feel like the the interior did a overall pretty good job um with his absence so I not I mean we we're talking about the the guys on the edge but I want to give a shout out to the guys that are on the interior as well because I thought for for what they were the hand that they were dealt um and what they were go a backfield they were going against I thought they did a pretty decent job uh I think we'd be remiss too with you mentioning Nick Chubb that man that, that was the most devastating injury I've seen happen in person and I don't think you texted me and like I got five texts that they weren't showing the replay on TV and they showed it once on the jumbotron there and I don't I don't think they realized how bad it was how gruesome no, we heard it, was. it. you could yeah. hear it on TV how loud the stadium got whenever the fit, they saw yeah. the replay and I, I must I legitimately almost threw up yeah I ended up did seeing the replay on X after it happened and it, it was gruesome I wish nothing for the best of Nick Chubb moving forward regardless of what jersey you wear like you never want to see an injury like that you never want to see a guy get injured but with something like that i'm i'm hoping for the best for him i'm hoping as as bad as it was i hope his his recovery is as speedy and smooth as possible um but yeah that was that was awful um just the way that that happened and then it's, it's it's nothing that you can really blame like i saw people on twitter blaming minka fitzpatrick for what he was doing like i don't i think that's ridiculous i don't think you can blame minka fitzpatrick for the outcome of that um but but i just i think that all of steeler fans they handled it pretty well like wanting a speedy recovery and and obviously all the thoughts were with nick chubb after that cuz it was it was as bad as like some injuries could get, at least on um, the visual of it. He had a very similar injury back to Georgia, and it was that same knee. And so I think that's why there's a lot of skepticism if he is going to be able to make a return. I, I'm not going to to doubt Nick Chubb. I mean, I think he's a freak of nature. I think if anybody can come back from this, it is Nick Chubb. I think it speaks volumes to him and who he is, the fact that the Steelers fans gave him the response that they did because – uh, unfortunately, like we know that that wouldn't have been the case for any Cleveland Browns player. Like if that was maybe anybody besides Nick Chubb, they don't get that type of response in that stadium. Right. But there were some Browns fans there that had started a, a Chubb chant. And I don't know that this came through in the broadcast, but Steelers fans were doing it as well. Um, and obviously you could, you know, see the applause and a lot and pretty much everybody in the stadium standing and clapping when he got carted off. But yeah, I mean, that's that was a tough one to to be there for and to witness, and it almost like made it tough to watch the rest of the game as well. Um, but you mentioned I, I didn't mean to divert the conversation that far away from things, but you mentioned the interior of the defensive line in the absence of Cam Hayward, Larry Ogunjobi, obviously his best game as a Steeler for sure. Mm-hmm. But like even you know, I'm thinking pre-Steelers tenure. Now, obviously, it's not like I've watched every single game that he's played in Cleveland and in Cincinnati. But I don't know that he's like, especially in that first half, super impactful, the, the plays that he was making. Um, I thought he's looked as good as he has. And so I don't know where that foot is at in terms of like percentage close to 100 percent. But if that's the Larry, the version of Larry Ogunjobi you're going to get, it's almost necessary in the absence of Cam Hayward. And it's going to be very nice to have once Cam Hayward is back to have that back as his running mate. I mean, we we didn't even see Fahoko get a helmet in this game that we mm-hmm. thought could happen and thought was the best course of action. Keanu Benton actually played less than he did in week one, in week two, but he was good when he was on the field. Really, you look at guys that stepped up in the absence. Armin Watts didn't play at all in week one, and he played 22 snaps in this game. The Marvin Leal saw an uptick as well. The uh, Monty Adams saw an uptick. Those were the guys that were really stepping up and playing the snaps in his absence, and I really wanted to ha- highlight the Marvin Leal because I thought he was – really good in terms of the role that he played yesterday. We know he's a Swiss Army knife. They want to move him around. But I thought he he looked good both uh, in the run game, which is where probably his weakness is, and also at times creating some pressure. Yeah, I agree totally. I mean, when you speak of the pressure, he, he had a sack, um, one of the six on the game. And he is one of those weird players where the Steelers don't I – don't, I, maybe it's a, this would be the case with anybody just because of the kind of player he was. 
don't really know what to do with him. He's not really that much of an outside guy. He's not really an inside guy either. He's more, I mean, I feel like they're trying to make him a three technique guy, um, even though he's probably not a traditional three technique guy. But yeah. I feel like for the, for the hand he's dealt and for the hand that the interior in general was dealt, I think he did a good job. And every, all of the guys you mentioned, Arm, Armin Watts, Montrevious Adams, I thought all of them, they did a really nice job in the absence of Cam Hayward, which they're going to need to continue to do um, because they're going to be out without Cam Hayward for several weeks. But I thought that as far as, far as the first games goes without him, this is, this is a good impression for what we can expect uh, moving forward in his absence. So that was pretty cool to see. Also, I, uh, I, I want to make a take, and I don't know if this is a hot take, but TJ Watt feel like we were remiss to, to mention that he is now the Steelers all-time sack leader at 81 mm-hmm. and a half sacks. And a lot, in my <laughs> like opinion, half of the games is James Harrison too. Yeah. And in my opinion, he is firmly in the Steelers all-time, uh, Mount Rushmore of defensive players now. And, and that's without winning a Super Bowl. If you're just looking at players, I have him. I have Troy, Jack Lambert, and Mean Joe Green. That is my Mount Rushmore of Steelers defensive players all time. And there's a ton of names that you could leave off of that I've left off that list that could be in there. But I feel like for the impact that he's had on the field when he is on the field, and you see the difference of what the Steelers defense is without him on the field versus what it is, he's in my Mount Rushmore of all-time Steelers defensive players. I have two of the same right now and probably three by the time that TJ gets closer to the end. I agree with Paul Amalu and Joe Green. I would have Mel Blunt and Rod Woodson for right now over Jack Lambert or Jack Ham. I think Jack Ham has a case as well mm-hmm. if he were going like to six guys or something like that. But those are my four for right now. TJ could definitely unseat one of those cornerbacks. Obviously, I don't think he's going to unseat Joe Green or Troy. We'll see. Um, but that would be something. Uh, if he were to, hopefully that he would get a, a Super Bowl at some point down the line. Um, but yeah, that's an interesting point too. I'll, I'll be let, let us know in the comments where you guys think TJ is at right now. Say things. Actually, I don't even want to say that statement. Right now, though, where does TJ stand among Steelers defensive players all time? Let us know in the comments how you feel. Um, one more thing on defense, and then we're going to flip the script here. Cornerbacks. I feel like we've seen. Pretty up and down play. I feel like Levi Wallace is doing a good job of keeping receivers in front of him, but that's he's been a lot of the guy catches the ball and he's tackling them, which is not mm-hmm. necessarily what you want to see either. He's giving up a ton of catches right now. He's keeping the ball in front of him at the very least. He's not getting burnt, but he's playing he's, soft. He's beat. Like yeah. he's giving the position. Yeah. Um, Patrick Peterson, I, he's got like three or four pass deflections already this year. Like he's getting the pass breakups. But again, like I just think he's a step too slow. And, uh, you know, we saw Joey Porter Jr. play a little bit yesterday, had a pass breakup early in the game, and then also the last possession for Cleveland with another one along the sidelines. Which, 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 can we just talk? That was pass interference, right? I mean, that, the game's over. We can say that. That was pass interference. Every right? defensive back has said that it's not. Uh, um, if, if you have a handful of jersey, I feel like it's hard to say no. But that's just my opinion. My th- it's just too hard. I'm, I'm always going to side a little bit with a defensive player when there's contact because it is so hard to play defense in this league. So I, agree. I, I say no. I say no. Let us know what you think. Was that pass interference? I'm asking a bunch of Steeler fans, so you're all going to say no because you're biased, but whatever. Um, But anyway, yeah, so Joey Porter Jr. in limited time yesterday, he, he went from seven snaps in week one to 14 in week two, so it wasn't like a huge jump or anything like that. But with him kind of being thrown into that fire, having to make a play down the stretch and in in doing so, do you think it's time at this point for him to see an increased role within this defense as soon as next week? With what we've seen from Peterson, with what we've seen from Wallace, and now what we've seen from himself stepping up when called upon. Yeah, and I, I think so. And I, I don't think that it necessarily means that he has to be um, the full-time starter now, like getting the most reps over either one of those guys. Because I feel like the thing that a lot of Steeler fans forget is like Joey Porter Jr., for the talent that he is, was still super raw at the position, especially when you're making the jump to the NFL level. Um, I I feel like he had a lot of things that he needed to refine before being a full-time starter. I do think that it's time to to start increasing that playing time, especially like from what we've seen from other some of the other corners, like 
Patrick Peterson can make a great play, but then we saw in week one, like with Brandon Ayuk, he can get burnt as well. Um, and Levi Wallace, like we were saying, like he's he's kind of giving guys too much of a cushion where he's not necessarily giving up the big plays, but he's giving up a lot of little plays. Um, it's not necessarily a, a good thing whenever you you have a cornerback making so many tackles. That just means that he's not making plays on the ball or anything like that. Um, so I think that it is time to like start ramping up his snap count. Like and like I said, you don't need to necessarily make him a higher snap count over Patrick Peterson or Levi Wallace just yet. But I do think that it's a good thing to to give him that more that better experience because he's going to learn better when he's in the games. Um, and I thought he did a, he did a solid job on Monday night. Um, he'll continue to do so, I believe, if he gets those the those higher snap counts and the more looks on defense. Yeah, I I should have prefaced by saying I'm not calling for him to necessarily start over either one of those guys, but for him to play more snaps than he has and them to play a little bit fewer snaps than they have. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm in full agreement. I, there's no substitute for getting those live reps. He's got to play if you want him to get better and get to where we think he can be. Uh, before we switch to offense, uh, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't mention, is this as good of a game as we've seen from Presley Harvin? I mean, he pinned them inside the 10 four times in this football game and, and it almost miles Boykin was very close to making it a fifth. Um, but yeah, Presley Harvin with, a with what I thought was probably his best performance and also, maybe a lot of people didn't realize saved a field goal because the, there was a pretty bad snap and he had to completely pick up the ball and flip it around mm-hmm. to get for Boswell to be able to kick it. Um, so it kind of saved that as well. So I thought this was Presley Harvin's probably best game as a pro. You know, I, I got to give him a shout out because he did make me look like an idiot because I was watching the game on my computer, at least the second half of the game with on my computer with my cousin we were just like watching it in discord together and i was uh, we were about to punt and i said this dude's i I said something along the lines of this dude stinks and i hate our punter and that's whenever he had one of the punts where he he pinned him at like the three yard line and i was just like (laughs) my cousin was like well my sample size is one for one but that looked pretty good And and then the next punt it was another one where he pinned him inside the 10 yard line i'm like listen I know, I know this is this doesn't seem like a good look because I said he stinks, but that was an anomaly. So I got to give a shout out for making me look like an idiot um, to, to to my cousin and and yeah, I, I thought he had a good game. I, being able to flip the field like that is a valuable thing, especially in games that close. Um, whenever you yeah. you're you're not getting sustained drives offensively, so uh, he he was definitely a part in in what was a win for the Steelers. I also want to mention, and I want to get your take on this because I'm typically, I don't feel this way. Typically, I think a lot of it gets made and like, we kind of blow out of proportion. Sometimes the, the impact that a crowd can have on a football game. I really felt like the crowd was part of yesterday's win. Like for a Monday night game coming off the week one they had, I was very impressed with the crowd in general, but I really thought like they were up to task in terms of making it a bad environment for Cleveland to play in for Deshaun Watson to, you know, communicate. There was, they didn't have as many like false starts as you would have thought, but they had to use a timeout very early because no one could hear anything. Um, So I I do think that the crowd definitely played a role and that just, that goes, you know, not just in situational, but I thought they were from start to finish uh, definitely into the action. Did that, did you feel like that came through at all in the broadcast? I did. Um, I I noticed the crowd, which I, I gotta be honest, not always, present at Steeler fans at least or, or oh, for yeah. Steeler fans especially like watching on TV it it doesn't always come through um and I'm, I'm sure you can attest to this because they're very fickle I mean you could, you're you a shout out season ticket week. holder hashtag season yeah. ticket holder uh 105 yeah uh but but it, there's a there's been like a stigma of Steeler fans like they're they're too old they're too too quiet now um, a lot of the season tickets holders should sell their tickets, all that sort of stuff that you see on on Twitter whenever Steeler fans are just kind of sitting there in the stands and stuff like that. So I thought that for mm-hmm. for a game and maybe playing the Browns and coming off a loss that we did brought a little ju- more juice uh, out of them. But I did I did notice them, and since we are going to be talking about the offense, I did notice the chant that they had as well. Uh, yeah. I I noticed it a little bit on TV bef- before they actually like. They, they started playing music. In, yeah, they started <laughs> playing music in the stadium. Yeah, 
<clears throat> pretty quickly when they realized what was happening. I mean, that um, wasn't okay. that wasn't quiet either. Like it was loud. No. And I saw yeah. a video that Josh Yoey had posted um of fans chanting Fire Canada and it was loud. Like it was not just a few fans. <laughs> it was like yeah. half the stadium. I I was talking with Alan about this though, and I do believe the pl- the players very well could have not heard it. Because of like, I mean, most of them have helmets designed to not hear the crowd noise. Like Derek Carr was recently talking about it with the Saints and stuff. So I don't know that they're necessarily lying. Tomlin acknowledged it today, though. I thought he had a really good answer about it. Like basically he wants wants the fans to be fans. They have every right to be passionate, express their frustrations. Uh, He said he wants them to be fat, spoiled. And what was the other? There was three adjectives that he used. I quoted it and was like, well, Mike, good news. I'm all three of these things. Uh (laughs) Fat, sassy, and spoiled. That's what he's looking for from the fan base, which I thought was a great quote, the complete opposite of the one that Pat Narduzzi gave uh, in regards to how the fans feel about their quarterback situation. Um, But with the Steelers offense, how how did you feel about yesterday? So I think there was obviously improvement from week one to week two. There was no way it was going to be that bad again. I still didn't think Kenny was very good. I still didn't think the offensive line played very well. There was obviously some questionable calls. I think while Kenny makes the wrong read on it, that third and two call where you're even putting the ball in Kenny's hands on that option is terrible. Uh, there was obviously some things that you can nitpick about it. I, I really didn't think Canada called that bad of a game, though, again. like I, I think that Kenny left a lot on the bone in terms of yesterday's game. But I, I'll give him – didn't have Deontay Johnson. I thought George Pickens played really well. I don't know that like a ton of guys – we're doing much beyond that. My, my biggest question with his offense right now, and I'll be curious as to what, what your answer is. If there's like one thing that's really surprising to you about this offense right now, where the heck is Pat Frymuth? He's got two receptions on the season for 10 yards. Like what, what are we doing? That was my number one point. I mean, you mentioned yours on the defensive keys. I, my yeah. offensive keys, my number one was, I thought Pat Frymuth was going to have a, a enlarged role in this game with the absence of Deontay Johnson. I thought the Browns, especially with the secondary that they have, are going to key in more on George Pickens on Allen Robinson. And that, that would open up a guy like Pat Frymuth, especially like over the middle of the field. I thought they could have taken advantage of that. You didn't really see him in, in any fashion. It was just kind of invisible. Um, I do think that that they need to use him more overall, the offense, um, like, yes, it it was improved, um, for sure. From week one, it's hard not to be, uh, especially, especially from Kenny's perspective. I feel like even though I don't think he had a great game still, I think it was pretty bad. I feel like it was different from week one. Um, I don't feel like it's the worst game I've ever seen Kenny play, but there was so much, uh, and there's so many more factors I feel like in this one that I can attribute to Kenny's play as well, along with the mental mistakes that he was making, like him being rushed and in the offensive line, making a lot of, of their pass blocking, uh, like the schemes that they were running, what some of the assignments on that offensive line, they just weren't even being carried. There was one where Kenny got sacked, one of the sacks against him where Isaac Samalu doesn't even touch the dude. And it's like there, there was a miscue of who needs to be blocking who, because there's a three technique that's just coming in directly on Kenny, but then there's someone that's a five technique that's already on, uh, uh, on the tackle that it, there was there was no communication there and or a miscommunication. So I feel like there was a lot more that I could say was going against Kenny in this game, even though he didn't play well. Um, and I still think he needs to improve upon that. As far as play calling goes, to me, it's really hard to see like how bad play calling is or how good play calling is from a cannabis perspective whenever the the guys on the field are not executing well enough to be able to go through the offense that that is being called and i feel like yeah. while there are definitely calls that i vastly disagree with like that third down call um it's hard for me to know exactly how bad it actually is i still think he should be gone by the end of the year i still don't think he's a good coordinator he's not improving mm-hmm. the team at all whatsoever and that's something that you want a co- coordinator to do like you want them to be able to improve the offense for the guys that you have on the field hasn't been able to do that. But I don't think that I can say like every single call he makes is bad because 
a lot of it is just the guys that are on the field not executing and starting with Kenny Pickett. And then you, when you work your way down to what some of the receivers do and, and the, the offensive line I thought was was pretty bad at t- very times throughout this game. Um, so there was a lot of factors for the offense. It was much improved. Well, maybe not much improved, but it was improved from week one. But I still don't think it was a great offensive performance. And I feel like as, as Steeler fans – we just basically need to throw whatever happened in the preseason out the window. That that five for mm. five for the first team, the touchdowns, throw it out the window and forget about it because that is not the offense that you're going to see moving forward. They're basically they started with the offense that you had in week one, and they're digging themselves out of that hole. And then we're, I feel like we're going to see that week by week. They're going to chip away at it and get a little bit better every single week until they finally hit their stride. And then and that's the thing, hitting their stride. We don't need them to be a, a top 10 offense in the league with what the defense performance you had and the defense you have overall. I feel like if you have that good of defense with solid special teams, if you have an average offense, I feel like the Steelers could be a pretty decent team. Yeah, I, I mean, I still yeah, don't get me wrong like that. I wasn't making necessarily an excuse for Canada in general. I just think that the fan base has a hard time realizing what they should be allocating blame for like there's been a lot that's been left on the bone by this offense that is out of Canada's control through these first two weeks and that's the only point that I'm trying to make I also believe that Matt Canada should be gone at the end of the season I don't think he should have been brought back into this season but I also don't think it's worth firing him in season which we know is not going to happen yeah I mean but I just just don't say that and anybody who's listening to this that, that thinks that that's a possibility it doesn't matter. It's not going to happen. The Steelers don't operate that way. He His contract is up at the end of the year. If they're not going to bring him back, he, they just don't have to re-sign him. And that's why he was brought back this year. We said it several times. He's going to be brought back because otherwise they'd have to fire him. They just don't do that sort of thing. Yeah, I just – there's no, to me, point in having that conversation. But even if it was on the table, I don't – you're not improving the offense this year with, by, by doing that. Like, you're still – People would obviously just want to not see his name anymore and realize, okay, with him being gone now, don't know what happens the rest of the year, but we for sure know that it's going to be somebody else hired in the offseason. I just, I think that they're going to roll this, like ride this out with Canada this year and then make a move. Um, There's so much to this though. Like for me, the biggest things with Canada aren't necessarily the play calling. It's more so the, just the uninspiring offense as a whole. I think that when you are, he runs an offense, typically the running back is like the feature, the focal point of this offense. And that to me is why he should have never been Kenny Pickett's offensive coordinator. Our focus should all be about Kenny and developing him into the franchise guy. And I just don't think that the right offensive coordinator was in place for that to happen. And I just think it's a very uninspiring offense. I think you ask guys to do so much for so little reward. Like, even if they were executing everything to perfection on a week-in, week-out basis, you're talking about a middle-of-the-packed offense. I just, there's there's very little there to be super excited about, even if everything does click within Matt Canada's offense. So, while I do think that a lot of their offensive problems that they've had through two weeks aren't necessarily directly on Matt Canada's play calling, by no means does that mean that I think he's a good offensive coordinator or should be the offensive coordinator right now of this franchise. And I certainly don't want him to be the uh, offensive coordinator of this franchise in 2024. Yeah. And you said his, his offense is, is built to, for, for running backs to excel. Mm-hmm. Najee Harris is probably looking at that. Like, well, what the hell, man? <laughs> why yeah. am I, why right. am I not excelling? Um, yeah, historically, that's they're the the focal point of his offense. I mean, you look at his time in Pitt at Maryland. I mean, going back even further before he was an offensive coordinator, like any of his stops, it's really been about the production of the running back. Um, obviously, like in in Pittsburgh, we necessarily haven't seen that yet. You know, I mean, maybe if you combine the production that Warren and Najee have had, and not just as a runner, but also as you know, out of the backfield catching the ball. But, like, I, I don't know. Like, it's still very hard for me to look at this offense and say, yep, there's the part of the team right now that's excelling within this offense. I know Jalen Warren had, like, six receptions. He had, like, 88 total yards or something yesterday. I I will give Canada credit for one thing. One really nice play call was the one where Warren got out in space. 
I mean, he has everybody come across the formation uh, from just from left to right. If you are looking at uh, as as if you're part of the Steelers, left to right, Warren comes out right to left, and because of basically just natural picks happening and the defense not being able to get over there, Warren has a ton of space in front of him. For a second, I thought he was going to take it all the way to the house, but uh, but yeah, I thought that was a really good call. There there was a couple throughout. I thought they showed some different things too. So definitely improvement, I think, across the board for the offense from week one to week two. Not enough for me to be like, oh, yeah, they're going to be able to go into even Vegas and Houston, which should be get right spots for the offense and score 30. Like, I'm not looking at it like that. Yeah. But I feel better about them taking at least a step forward. We'll see if they can take another step forward next week. Another primetime game, Sunday Night Football. Yeah, absolutely. Um, But I just want to touch on some of those things where we saw the offense did st- take a step forward. So let's start with Kenny Pickett. Um, I feel like some of the things that I noticed from Kenny in this game that were pretty bad in week one, um, I feel like some of his decision-making wasn't as bad, ex- excluding that one pick. I'm like, what are you doing? Why are you trying to force the ball in there? Throw it away, if anything. Um, but I feel like the, the the main things that I noticed of his, his game where it was like down was I feel like not necessarily the decision-making was as bad as week one, but still some of the missed throws. I mean, throwing it into the dirt, throwing behind guys. I feel like that's still very uncharacteristic of what Kenny is as a quarterback. I don't know what kind of quirk is, is, is why that that is like, why is he missing some of these throws? Um, I thought he was pretty good on play action, but again, I, I thought that Kenny looked better in, in week one um, overall, but I still don't think he looked great. And I do think that in this game, he did have a little more going against him with the offensive line performance too. So what did you see from Kenny that um, you thought like he improved upon and from week one, but also what did you see from Kenny overall where he still needs to improve? Um, I, I think the one area where I thought, okay, this is like, to me at least looks significantly better from at least like a process standpoint, not necessarily the results is I thought he was doing his be- he was at his best when he was stepping up into the pocket and generating some velocity on throws. There was a couple times where he ripped it down to to George stepping up into the pocket. Um and who was the other one too where he maybe Allen Robinson across he only had like one completion across the middle of the field. So whoever that one was, um to me I thought that there were times where the footwork looked a bit better. To your point with like that first pick or he only threw one pick. So the pick to Del Pitt early on, I just, I don't know why he was so quick to get rid of that ball. Like the, the pressure wasn't even there. Like I mm-hmm. think he had in his mind where the ball was going right away. I don't know if they had like talked about it before and it was like, Hey, let's get George going early or something like that. And they wanted him to get the ball right away. That was just so like, just careless. I, I don't know what, what the idea was there. I don't, I really don't know what, was on his mind or again if that was like a predetermined thing that's obviously not good if that was the case but there's no reason that one should have happened um still thought he was uncharacteristically inaccurate again i don't want it to get to a point where i'm saying like characteristically because now it's two weeks in a row where we said why was kenny inaccurate in situations where he typically isn't but yeah i still thought there were some issues there i just i think they need to do more in terms of building the passing game off their run concepts. I mean, we've seen them. They really haven't done it. We, we, they're still going in motion, but we're not seeing them do a ton of like actual jet sweeps and handing the ball to these guys. I think they need to build a passing attack off of that to keep uh, teams honest. So I, I, I think that they need to do some more play action, some more bootleg stuff. I think that the opportunity's certainly been there. I really think that they got to find a way to get Pat Fryermuth more involved. I mean, not like, I mean, if he has two catches next game, that's going to be more involved than he has in either one of the first two. But I just, I, there's going to be a point where this offense is going to have to carry the water. Like this defense cannot have that week two performance over and over again. I, I, I look at these next two games against the Raiders and Texans and say, the, one of these two games, in my opinion, is going to have to be a game where the offense like actually puts it together. Yeah, and with Pat Fryermuth specifically, I mean, I said it in the the keys to the game, and you'd think that if there's somebody that's going to be able to exploit the middle of the field and get get completions over the middle of the field, Pat Frymuth, I feel like, would be a perfect candidate to do that. Um, we saw it in the preseason, even though five minutes ago I just said, forget everything you saw in the preseason, but we did see it in the preseason. It led to a touchdown, yeah. too. Um, but, but, yeah, I agree. Um, 
but with other things with the offense, I feel like they got to figure out the run game. Uh, the blo- especially when I look at the blocking in the run game, it, it, there's no wonder why Najee Harris has nowhere to go because he literally has nowhere to go. There's no hole for him to get. The, there were several highlights that I saw um, Derek posting on Twitter where it's like, no wonder fans think Najee is awful because the offensive line is giving him no help whatsoever. He's he's basically running into guys. It's very odd, and I hope that it's almost like the same situation as with Daniels last year, where if you remember like early on, he didn't look very good, but he ended up being very good. Early returns on Isaac Samalo, he hasn't been very good for them. It's just, and that was totally unexpected. I really thought like the guard duo that we have was going to be the strength. I don't know if I'm looking along that. Chooks of for has probably been their best offensive lineman so far through two games. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. I mean, I thought that that James Daniels did not look good. Samalo in pass protection and run blocking this this game looked bad. Mason Cole had a terrible game. I mean, overall, I mean, and, and say what Mason you want Cole about was the worst in my opinion. Yeah, Mason Cole, I thought looked terrible. Um, and I feel like just for some of these blocking schemes, it's almost like they don't know who who to pick up. They they don't know who who they need to get a hand on and before moving on to the next guy. I mean, there there were a couple runs where that was the problem that they didn't even get a hand on somebody before moving to the next level. And I think back to to remember the Titans where where Gary Bertier is just like push them, shove them, do something. Like don't just let him buy because that's what's causing the run game to have and and that's the problem too. And that was my second key to the game is like. If you want to open up, and this goes off of what you were saying, if you want to open up your pass game more, you have to be able to run the football in this with this Steelers offense. And when they're not running the the, the football well, this this offense is very one dimensional and very it's very plain and very simple to figure out. So it makes it harder on Kenny to be able to to get the pass game going whenever everybody is shutting down the run. And I feel like. I am ready to start blaming the offensive line more than I am the running backs. I know some Steeler fans probably are are waking up this morning saying, okay, Jalen Warren should be running back one, just looking at a box score and everything. I'm not ready to give up on Najee because, I mean, we, you saw Najee get a couple good runs um, later in the, in the game in the second half. But overall, mm-hmm. I'm ready to just blame the offensive line for the running woes. I, I feel like schematically they do not know who is their guy and what, what the run scheme is being called. That's what I would think the main problem overall is, is like they just don't know who they're picking up when it comes to from one run to the other for what scheme they are going with. And that's the problem in the run game. It's not the running backs. I'm not going to blame it entirely on this because, I mean, four of the five guys are the same now. But like this was part of the thing where I said, like, these guys just haven't played a lot together, like going back to last year. So how many pieces do you want to turn over? We know at some point Broderick Jones is going to enter the lineup too, so that will be another one. Like, there's no replication for reps played together. So Samalo's a new piece here. It's probably going to take some time for them to get that down. You would have hoped that most of that was ironed out in training camp and in the preseason, but uh, obviously we're through two games here. It still doesn't look like it's it's there yet. So hopefully that is the case because I don't necessarily think it's like, especially with that guard duo, that it's a lack of talent. I think that obviously they're not overall the most talented group, but I think those guards are very good. Uh, so I, I guess that's kind of my hope is that right now it's just a, a little bit of a lack of communication. Similarly to like we talked about in those, the, the secondary and the linebackers on defense. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, I think that a source of a lot of the problems that we're seeing offensively is up front. I mean, when you, when you're not winning that line of scrimmage battle, you're not putting yourself in a good position to, to, to exceed or excel offensively. So when you mix that with the play of Kenny and then um, some of the odd play calls you get, it's it's not a good combination to have a successful offense. But luckily, there's 17 games, and we're only two games in, so they have plenty of time to figure it out. Hopefully, it is sooner or later. Um, but like I said, with the, with the defensive performance you have and what you can expect from – and I'm not expecting six sacks and – four takeaways and, and two touchdowns from, from a defense in every single game. But from what you can get out of this defense on average, I feel like if you have what is considered a league average offense, you should be able to do some good things this season. So I think there's time to still figure it out, and they've got some good games to be able to do so. 
but I feel like you need to be able to put it together quicker rather than later, especially Kenny Pickett. Yeah, I think the clock's ticking. Um, last thing I want to say, going back to the first thing that we talked about with TJ and Alex, I I hate that and I get that he plays for the Browns and everything, and it, it is like weird that seemingly every time they play Pittsburgh, Miles Garrett doesn't have like any impact plays. Like maybe his pass rush win rate. Uh, is great, but he doesn't have many impact plays. Um, I feel like Steelers fans kind of underrate him. Like they call him the most overrated player in the NFL because obviously like to prop up TJ and stuff like that. I think, like I said, TJ and Alex put a stamp as of right now being the best edge duo in the NFL. Uh, Miles Garrett and Zadarius Smith, who were on the other side of that matchup, are also very good in their own right. And I think that that gets lost within Steelers fans sometimes because they're just they're homers and and don't think Miles Garrett's any good. Absolutely. Um, and I thought Zadarius Smith had a bigger impact in this game than Miles Garrett did. Um, but I do think that Miles Garrett is still very good. In a fantasy league where I draft defensive players, he's on my team. Um, it, it, he's a player that is averaging a sack per game in his career. I don't think that that's a bad player or an overrated player. <laughs> but I feel yeah. like as a Steelers fans, um, if you only watched – them play against the Steelers and similar goes for like Lamar Jackson. If you only watch Lamar Jackson play in games against the Steelers, like Lamar and Miles Garrett are the two most overrated players in the NFL. If you're going by that metric where you only watch them when they play Pittsburgh. Um, so it, it just so happens that Pittsburgh has been able to get their number and they haven't really been able to, to record anything at least good statistically um, in a box score and haven't had a major impact in these games. But that doesn't mean that they're bad players. It doesn't mean Miles Garrett's a bad player. He's still one of the best edge rushers in the NFL. And I, I know I said in the beginning, like I, I still think that TJ Watt is the best edge rusher in the NFL. And I feel like this game, um, even though Miles Garrett didn't have an impact, like I, I think it doesn't necessarily like always just confirm it by one game. But I've always just thought that overall, I thought TJ was better. Miles Garrett is still one of the best. He's still one of the top edge rushers in the NFL. So uh, I, I, I feel like that duo. With with Zadarius Smith and like I said, I thought Zadarius Smith had a good game, um, better better impact on the game than Miles Garrett did. It's it's one of the better ones in in the NFL too. Um, and I feel like Miles Garrett and Zadarius Smith is going to be the better version of what Cleveland fans probably hoped Miles Garrett and Jadavion Clowney was going to be. Yeah, yeah, Clowney, really good run defender, but obviously never lived up to that pass rush uh, chops that like he was going to have. So. But, all right, uh, we will end on that note for the Steelers show, unless you got anything else. I don't. Um, I'm, oh, I'm we should probably give predictions for Sunday night. Oh, that's true. That's true. Okay, let's do that. Um, man, it's tough because it's in Las Vegas. Um, yep. In Las Vegas, I don't really know what to say about Las Vegas because I feel like they are um, underrated in some areas, but I still th- don't think that they're a – Amazing football team overall. Um, Beat Denver week one. They got blown out week two by 28 points to Buffalo. They And they came out fast. Like, they scored a touchdown within the first couple minutes of that game against Buffalo. Um, and then did nothing after that. So, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know what to make of the Raiders. I don't think that they're necessarily a very good roster. I think they're firmly behind Kansas City and even the Chargers, even though they're 0-2 in that division. I, you know, between them and Denver right now, Vegas won week one. So I guess they they have the leg up there. I don't know. Well, I think that, I think that you're going to get into a game where I think the de- Steelers defense is going to force Jimmy Garoppolo to, to win the game with his arm. I feel like they're going to be stout in the run defense through two games. They haven't been able to run. The Raiders haven't been able to run the ball that well. Um, mm-hmm. Which uh, statistically Josh Jacobs right now is even worse than Najee Harris. He only has 46 yards on 28 carries on the on the season through two games. So I feel like if that's the case and you're forcing Jimmy Garoppolo to beat you with his arm, I feel like the Steelers are in a, in a good situation. Um, and granted, I did have the Steelers winning this game prior to the start of the season. I'm not going to shy away from that just because of the two performances that I did see. I, I still think that you're going to continue to see the offense take strides at week in and week out um, as the season goes. Um, so I will say that the Steelers are going to win this one on Sunday night, especially because the Steelers are just good in prime time. 
uh, I feel like the Mike Thomas primetime record speaks for itself. So I'm going to say the Steelers are going to win this one, and I'll put a score of 23 to 21. Pretty close game, I, pretty evenly matched. Yeah. The offense, I think, will look a little bit better. Um, How about the fact that I remember I said 22 to 17, like a weird score. One of the two teams in Steelers Browns scored 22. It's just on yeah, the that, losing side. Yeah, that is true. That is true. That I mean, there was a point it was where it was possible too. Yeah, and it it was a weird score what we ended up getting. So I'll, I'll give you props to that because you were right. I mean, twenty six to twenty two is not a a normal yeah. score for a football game. I'm going to say for back to back weeks, the Steelers score twenty six. I think they win this one twenty six to twenty on Sunday night. I think we feel even a little bit better than we do right now talking about the offense a week from now. Um, I think the defense is is still going to be able to do their thing. Uh, maybe the Raiders get a little bit of Josh J. I, I don't know if it's Josh Jacobs. Like, obviously, he wasn't there for the entirety of training camp and stuff like that. He was late getting there, so maybe that has to do with it. Maybe he's still shaking off some rust. I don't know. I think the receiver room is going to be something to monitor for them. Jacoby Myers and Devontae Adams both dealing with concussions, so that would be something to monitor. But, uh, I mean, if they don't have – if they don't even have one, if they don't have Devontae Adams, especially, then I'm changing that. And I don't even think the Raiders get the 20. If they were to yeah. not have both, yeah, I'm, I would feel very good about this one. Um, yeah, Max Crosby, obviously going to be a big key for the offense to, to key in on. I don't, I don't even want to like touch on it and speculate, but that Chandler Jones situation is really weird. Wouldn't expect he's going to be out there anytime soon. Um, and I don't know what to make to the rest of that defense. There's not too many guys like that I even know on that defense. So, like Trevon yeah. Merrick is a good player, but I I couldn't I couldn't name most of the players in the Raiders defense. I don't think. Which is which is good for the Steelers offense. I think this is a good week to take another step forward. Yeah. All right. Well, let us know what you guys think in the bottom or in the bottom in the comments as well in terms of predictions. Do you think the Steelers get this one on Sunday night? Back to back primetime games, man. Um, Actually, the person that I buy my season tickets off of, it's her 65th birthday on Sunday. She'll be in Vegas to see that game. So shout out, Cheryl. I know you don't watch this, but um, in the description of the show, as Tyler mentioned at the beginning, we got year six of Rocking Around the 412 going on. We raised $25,000. First five years of doing the mission. Uh, help us make year six our best year yet. We give Christmas in its entirety to local families in the 724 and 412 area codes. Tyler and I never had to worry about Christmas growing up, and the mission is to give kids that Christmas that they deserve and that we were able to enjoy growing up as well. Also starting last year, we started doing a, a partnership with the East Rochester, Pennsylvania Salvation Army, their angel tree that they do every year in the name of our late friend Dalton Keene. So we're going to continue doing that going forward as well. Um, so get involved with that. Also, we got the Everything Custom Designs by our friend Haley Wagner. The Facebook and her Etsy shop are down below. Custom shirts, custom aprons, custom trick-or-treat bags with Halloween coming up. If you want a hat, that's not possible. So don't try that. Find a different link that's not in the description of this show. Uh, but that's all we got. So check that out if you are into that stuff. Like I said, Facebook and Etsy down below. Rock around the 412. Get involved. You'll also be eligible to win some prizes uh, as that time draws near too. So get involved. For Tyler, for Smitty, this has been the Around the 412 Steelers show. Check out one of our other videos. We'll see you over there when you click on it right now. All right, bye-bye.